All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 126 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli. Ty Ramchuk is off today. He's uh, in Los Angeles for uh, game three. And it's a little too early for him to uh, join us this morning. And uh, Frank, I uh, hope you're doing well. All I know is I, I should have had a video before we came on today of, uh, of, of you battling with your earpiece because that, that would be like a perfect short video film that people would get a good chuckle out of. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what the issue was there. All I know is I've been using the same earpiece for the last year and a half. And for whatever reason today, it decided to stop working. So stop working. Oh, stop. That's one. how it works. Earpiece one, Frank, nothing. But you battled back, Frank. You, you battled back. Um, you're like the Dallas Stars. Dallas Stars, how about this, man? We got six series tied at one. Uh, Colorado, Boston, uh, sorry, Colorado, Nashville, and Carolina, Boston are the only series uh, where the home team has won both games. And I want to start with the the Dallas Calgary series because the uh, the Calgary Flames uh, were tied with Minnesota and Florida for the best goal differential five on five this year. They were plus 57. Their top line scored just their forwards, not to mention if any D-men were on the ice. They scored 77 goals as a line, second most in the NHL. The Flames don't have one five on five goal through two games. Now they've only scored one. And I was going to say they've scored one goal period, which is also cause for concern. Yeah. And Dallas has only scored two. It's obviously the lowest scoring series by a mile, but um, are you surprised 
at the lack of offense from Calgary, who was pretty much a juggernaut offensively all season. I am. I mean, I think it's cause for concern because I think when you get to this point in the playoffs and you have a lot of expectations and you have a core that has had previous failures, a lot of times due to their lack of scoring touch or production when it comes to the playoffs, you know, it becomes a real thing. I mean, you take a look, even just going back to, you know, the bubble in 2020, the last time these two teams met in the playoffs, I mean, it's been, you know, a little bit uh, tough to come by in terms of, of production. Matthew Kachuk, he only played in four out of the eight games, one assist. Elias Lindholm, one goal in eight games. Andrew Mangiapane, one goal in eight games. Johnny Gaudreau, two goals in eight games. That's the two games this series and the six that they played in the bubble. And all of a sudden you go, huh, what does that mean? And, and it's not even so much what does it mean because it, it's easy, not easy, but it's possible that they bust out of that slump at some point during this round and, and the floodgates open. But when you have that kind of history, I just think it, it, it adds pressure and it becomes a mental grind as much as anything else. Yeah, so that that's a that's a series to watch. Um, you know, staying out west, uh, Edmonton special teams is is absolutely destroying uh, the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, the orders are fifty uh, percent in the fit in the uh, on the power play. They haven't given up a penalty uh, kill goal, but they've actually scored shorthanded. So they're they're actually their net penalty it's kill one. is above a hundred percent. And uh, they were very physical in game two. Uh, you know, obviously Mike Smith had the blunder in game one, but other than that, uh, you know, Edmonton uh, game two, they really had their way. And I'll be curious to see what kind of adjustments the Kings can make. I, I just think their inexperienced, smaller defense core, really that's what Edmonton attacked in game two. And I expect that to continue. How do you think the Oilers better handled the matchup game in game two? You know, Deneau and and Kopitar going against the Oilers' top guys was such a big storyline from game one. Didn't seem to be as big of a deal in game two. And now that the series shifts to L.A., where the Kings have last change, how does that impact it? It might, but it's interesting. Deneau's line scored two goals against Nugent Hopkins' line in game one. Now, granted, one of them was, of course, a Smith gaff, so I don't necessarily, uh, you know, uh, push that line. I, the Deneau line and Moore and I follow, they were the best line. Kopitar's line really hasn't done much in the series thus far. So, I, you know, I think if you're Todd, uh, sorry, Jay Woodcroft, you got me saying Todd now. If you're Jay Woodcroft, uh, I don't think you're concerned Connor McDavid on which line he plays against, to be honest. I, I think they'll they'll take that, whichever matchup uh, LA wants to try to go with, they'll do it. Um, you know, uh, Anze Kopitar played a low to 25 minutes, you know, almost five minutes more than he normally does in the regular season. In game one, he was back down closer to 20 in game two when it was a blowout. So there's no reason to to overuse him. But I really think the, the matchup where LA struggles, Frank, is they just don't have a defense pair. Right. Like we can talk about the forward lines, but usually you've got that, you know, that really good shut down defensive pair to match up against the other team's best players. And without Drew Doughty, L.A. just doesn't have that. Yeah, I agree. That's been the big missing ingredient. So the Oilers seem to be out of the woods. The Panthers seem to be out of the woods with a big bounce back 5-1 win over the Caps in game two. Their offense was sort of what we expected it to be finally. One team that I'm not entirely sold after evening their series that is out of the woods is the New York Rangers. And there's been a lot of talk about, you know, Louis Deming and the Penguins being down to their third goalie. And what does that mean for the series as Tristan Jari tries to work his way back? 
not sure how much eyes you had on, on that game. Um, you know, looking back on Thursday night, but when you look at the opportunities that Sidney Crosby has had in this, this series, if the Rangers don't find a way to get him in check, they, their season is on the line. Yeah, you know what, Frank? It's really smart that you brought that up because Sidney Crosby's unreal in this series. If if you just look at the points, you'd be like, nah, okay, he's been all right. But man, his quality chances, the amount that that he has produced, I thought in game one, even Frank, he was unreal for the Penguins all mm-hmm. over the ice. Um, you know, at his age, just dominating. And, you know, she, you know, the, the big fear for the Rangers was briefly there when Shesterkin went down late in the third period. Oh my goodness, if uh, if they had lost him, that would have been devastating. That was a really so, odd sequence. Yeah, it was. Was. And um, you know what? Uh, Pittsburgh, I give them credit because really for the three months, they they were a below average team really in the NHL and their playoff experience here has come to the forefront. Um, I, I think it's fair to wonder about the goaltending. Like if you got to go Shesterkin against the other team's number three goalie, you would think in a longer series that is going to benefit the Rangers. But you're right. They've got to find a way to to check Crosby better because he's kind of had free reign to do whatever he wants. And, and eventually some of those chances are going to start going in. I agree. And... I, you know, I have this sort of, I don't want to say realization, but sort of um, self reckoning at, at some point when filling out my ballot saying, am I, am I getting this wrong? Not having Crosby in the heart conversation. And I, and I know that his numbers don't stack up anywhere near the guys that, you know, are really in contention for the award, but I think his season was really sneaky good that didn't really get a lot of talk um, or, or conversation over the last, you know, 45, 50 games of the season. You know, you look at his last 43 games, Jason, 26 goals, 60 points in 43 games. Like he was as good as anyone down the stretch and it went largely unnoticed. I don't know why we started sleeping on Sidney Crosby, but we did. And, you know, you see these first two games, it's a reminder, like, this guy is damn good. Oh, yeah. I, I think, honestly, that there was just so many other candidates, Yossi and Matthews and McDavid and, and Kaprizov and Goudreau and, you know, uh, just go down the list of other guys that you would say, hey, Huberto, of course. Shesterkin. Um, and, yeah, yeah, Shesterkin. And so it wasn't so much that, you know, Crosby, you're right, his second half was unbelievable. But because his first half, he just probably doesn't get in the conversation because the other guys were were just more consistent all year. But you're right, Crosby's second half of the season, you would put him right up there with anyone else. And and they've continued that. And, you know, the, the Rangers maybe a little bit lucky uh, to, uh, to to get out of it, you know, at home tied one. And, you know, maybe it was just a little bit of, you know, they've got more youthfulness, you know, Malkin scores the overtime winner. Chris Letang has been very good. Sidney Crosby's dominated. And you, you just see playoff experience, Frank. I, it's no joke. And, and, and you're seeing it from certain players in a lot of these series. And, and that's why, you know, you look to Tampa and, and Toronto now. It's a best of five. They're tied at one. And statistically, I do want to point this out. Um, you know, a lot of times everyone says, oh, look, you know, Edmonton, Minnesota, Toronto, they've, they've all lost home ice advantage. Well, historically, if you look at when the series is tied at one in the history of the NHL, when the series it's is exactly tied at one, 500. Yeah, it's 500. 50-50. But But the teams who still win the series 57% of the time, it's the team who had home ice advantage to start. So Minnesota, Edmonton, Toronto, all those teams, uh, the Rangers, 
the odds are that they still, even though they've, quote, lost home ice advantage, odds suggest uh, they still have a better chance to win the series. Now, obviously, yeah, but that, the, the reason for that, I would believe, has nothing to do with home ice advantage. Has everything to do teams. with the fact that they went in being the better team. Yeah, sure. And that's that so seven percent margin is the difference. Yeah, exactly. And so I look at um like the Tampa Toronto series to me, and really that's a microcosm, Frank, of the playoffs so far this year for me. There's not there's been 16 games, nine of them have been three or more goal differential, like blowouts. Nine of the six it actually hasn't been that fun. There hasn't no. been the drama that we are used to. Yeah, there's only been um, the triple overtime game was really dramatic. It was great. That was it. The, uh, um, you know, the Flames had the one nothing game that came down to the wire. Nashville, Colorado. Now, uh, you know, Connor Ingram kept that game close because what an uh, awesome he was, story. He is. He was unreal for, for the Predators as Colorado just overwhelmed them. But that's what overtime can do sometimes. Had the Preds won that game, you wonder if maybe that gives them, a, you know, a reason to believe. But, um, you know, Ingram, they, they kind of spoiled a, a stellar performance by him by by losing it in overtime but um, how about Kyle McCarr oh, he's he scores so good, on his man. 22nd shot attempt of the game <laughs> 22nd how many how for some guys in the league how many games does it take them to get to 22 shot attempts yeah. five wow. six yeah he's all over the place man like that's just a that's a real mismatch on the ice especially when you take out UC Saros but look at Ingram like I'm not sure Saros could have played much better than he did in game two and they still lost Colorado Frank they they never iced a fully healthy lineup until game one of the playoffs and and we've seen it through two games like they are a wagon that's going to be a tough team uh whether you know if you're St. Louis or Minnesota man that's going to be a real tough out in round two I have a hot takey question for you is Nathan McKinnon the best playoff player ever who hasn't won anything? <laughs> you know, it's funny, Frank, because I talked at the, I wrote an article at the start of the playoffs about how elite players, it's hard for them to really elevate their game in the playoffs because most of them score so much. But then Nathan McKinnon's the one guy who does it. Like he's had some really good regular seasons, but then he just goes, he goes atomic in the playoffs. Like he just dominates and elevates his game. It's probably, I'm trying to think of guys who would be that good. Yeah. Like, you know, I remember Ovechkin for a while, Frank, like remember the years that they didn't get out of this one year. He had 21 points in 14 games and people like, Oh yeah. Ovechkin's not leading their team. I'm like, what the hell else are you supposed to do? But you're right. McKinnon has been, McKinnon's been all world for, for, uh, for Colorado. And the thing is the last two years, I believe injuries played a major role in them not going deeper in the playoffs. Eric Johnson injury last year was catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And the year before they, in the bubble, they're down to like three goalies in one series. Like if they stay healthy, man, that's a real tough team to beat. So Alex Ovechkin 0.96 points per game. Pretty damn good. But he is 48th all time. Yeah. So Nathan McKinnon, McKinnon is fourth. Fourth. It's Gretzky Lemieux. Here's one that I was not expecting. Barry Peterson. Oh, yeah. From the How Boston many games? Bruins. He played uh, 33 games. Okay. So he had, uh, sorry, 34 games. He has 52 points. Yeah. Actually pretty decent. Um, but if you, if you make it a minimum of 50 games, which McKinnon has hit, Gretzky, Lemieux, McKinnon. Yeah. And then it's a big gap between McKinnon and Mark Messier. And Bobby Orr. Yeah. And, and it's crazy about games played because like Messi and those guys were doing that in 200 games. 
right? So right. yeah, McKinnon so far has been, he, he's their leader of their team, no question, come playoff time. He's just a highly, he, he he's able to elevate his emotions, Frank, where it doesn't overwhelm him. He just becomes like a bull in a china shop. He's so powerful and, and, and like- It's hard to do that. It's yes. hard to rev yourself up without crossing the line. Yeah. Because some guys are so revved up that they can't handle it. Yeah. Like he just looks like he gets shot out of a cannon so often when he exits the, the look at that first period goal. Oh, geez. He's so like, it's funny. McKinnon and McDavid are both so fast, but they look so different doing it. Yes. Why is that? Is it the size? Well, I'm not McKinnon's definitely thicker a little bit but i find Way i think thicker. it's it's their it's their skating stride to me that that looks quite different mcdavid's a little bit more upright and mckinnon's more bent over and he just explodes and 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 mcdavid is just so light on his feet like mckinnon's more of like a powerful skater where mcdavid when he's flying it's like his you know he, he's a little like mccarr and bobby Orr and paul coffee like it's like their skates are barely touching the ice mm-hmm yeah, it's interesting. I'd be curious to have someone break that down, like oh, to yeah. look at the difference. But they're they're both equally effective, just totally different style. Yeah. Um, the uh, the Minnesota St. Louis series. It's been blowouts, two of them. Um, do you do you see any team that you think has a slight advantage heading into Game Three? Not really. I think it's still a total coin flip. Um, I liked from Minnesota the fact that Kaprizov, who looked really frustrated in game one, was able to bounce back with that hat trick. The funny thing about game two from Minnesota's perspective is that St. Louis actually really dominated the first 10 minutes of the game. And you're thinking, oh man, the Blues are in the driver's seat here. And they they capitalized on a freak play. Bortuzzo, his stick explodes they score and it was like off to the races. That's all they needed that the building exploded. Everything happened. And now they go to St. Louis and that no surprise, that grief line has been a handful green Erickson, Eck, Felino. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see the way the matchup game shifts a little bit as well. Like how to, how does Craig Ruby begin to dictate, you know, what's happening? If and, anything, he's not a huge, I don't think he's a huge disciplined matchup guy. Well, and the other thing, Frank, is injuries on the Blues blue line. The Bortuzzo injury was ugly. Um, and what, they got three guys now down? Like that to me is, is it's similar, reminding me of the 2006 Buffalo Sabres. Now, granted, it was later in the playoffs where, you know, they, they just they couldn't find a defenseman to stay healthy. And that ultimately cost them that series against Carolina. And with Minnesota and St. Louis fairly evenly matched, I, I know there's a slight advantage for Minnesota to start the series. But you, you all of a sudden see that many defensemen get injured. I That, to me, might be the ultimate difference maker here. And, you know, Berube's been, been they've been very quiet in St. Louis on, on what the, the extent of the injuries are. And, you know, we'll see if guys can come back. But... If they don't get some of their defensemen back here in this series, Frank, that, that might be the difference. You talk about the grief line. You take out some of those bigger St. Louis defensemen. Now that's even tougher to defend that line. Yeah, it's Bortuzzo. Looks like Bortuzzo, Scandella, and Letty. Yes. So all of a sudden when you're transitioning to, you know, Nico Mikola, Callie Rosen, you know, the next guys down on your list, it's becomes a different ballgame. 
You can't, like, uh, you can't take out half of your defense core and expect to be the same team. Yeah. Like Pareko, Falk and Krug, man, are they all going to play 25, 27 minutes? They might probably, have to. yeah, they're yeah. going to have to. Yeah. So that's a, I never, I like to see the best of the best. I just find the playoffs are better that way. I don't like injuries on any team. I, I know it's, it, it can play a huge part in it. I, injury when, when it's all good teams. And if you're in the playoffs, you're a good team. Obviously some are better than others, but you, you can make a huge difference in your lineup just based on, on injuries alone. If you start to get key ones and mm-hmm. you know, that's what I'll be watching for in that series. Um, Boston, speaking of injuries, Lindholm got absolutely smoked. That it was yes. a clean hit. You could hear even his teammates on the ice were yelling heads up and, um, you know, it's interesting. Jason Strudwick tells me he didn't like that pass. They don't like that pass from defensemen. Sometimes it can put you in a tough spot. And, um, you know, Lindholm got absolutely rocked. I don't think he's returning for this playoffs. Like he was clearly, you know, on on uh, Wobbly Street there. Yeah, and, same thing with Ricard Raquel in Pittsburgh after that yeah. Lindgren hit. So you uh, uh, like so when we far- talk again on Monday, will the Bruins season still be alive? I think they can win a game in Boston. For sure, but yeah, Carolina looks really good right now. And, Twenty-six uh, to four. That's how yeah. much Carolina has outscored them in five games in the season series. Yeah, it's nuts. It's I don't care nuts. who Boston puts in net. Swayman, yeah. you could resurrect Tuka Rask from the dead. Like I, I mean, I, 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 I don't offense. Yeah, you need to score, and first off, you need some confidence. The frustration, the Derek Forbort slash high stick is as dumb as it gets. Stuff like that, you see that emanating from their game. David Pasternak really struggled in game two. What's the sign of hope? Like, I, I don't know. It feels to me like Hurricanes, you know, they're heading towards Sweep City. Yeah, like they really controlled those two games at home. And even, I, when, I, even when things got tight, yeah, they were still like, okay, yeah, no problem. Yeah, they, they never looked in jeopardy in any of that. Now, Grant, I didn't watch uh, a full every minute of, of those, but every I probably watched, I would say, four and a half periods out of six. And every time I watch it, Carolina just seemed to be controlling the game. Mm-hmm. There, there seemed very few stretches where the Bruins were able to just grab momentum and hold on to it for an extended period of time. And they're going to have to find a way to do that. Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak, Hall. If, if your best guys aren't going, and you mentioned the, the goal four differential, Frank, like, come on, if you can't score, uh, I don't care. Like, um, you, you can hope to win games one nothing or two nothing but that's that's pretty hard to do long term they got to get going offensively there's there's no two ways about it and they could go with Swayman you're right like I don't, I don't think Allmark was the uh, the reason they lost either one of those games and they might switch the goaltender I understand if they do it but they're going yeah they they said they're going to Swayman yeah so that but that I don't care who they change. put in that it's not yeah. I don't I don't look at the first two games and say okay that was on Linus Allmark no not at all so the only series we didn't really dive in on is the Leafs and Lightning. Oh, that's, you know, it was interesting, you know, in Toronto, they're talking about, hey, we don't, we took too many undisciplined penalties. We got to be better. And that's fair. No, no question. Um, Tampa Bay, and, and it's hard for me, just the, like we, I talked earlier about playoff experience and, and Tampa Bay, like the fact that they're 15 and O Vasilevsky has five shutouts after they lose a game. Like how you, re- how you respond after a loss is so key and, and no one's been better than them. That's obviously why they're the two time defending champs here the last few seasons. And now I'll be curious to see can Toronto rebound with the same force and vigor that Tampa Bay did. I, I don't, I don't have an answer. I don't know because it's so odd that this 
playoff series has in a way mirrored the way their season series wrapped up. It was Leafs blowout followed by lightning blowout. And that's how this series has started as well. I don't, I don't think any team has any advantage one way or the other. I mean, the only question mark I have is, is I thought the Leafs handled themselves really well after game one. They said all the right things. We know we're going to, you know, essentially they knew they were getting a better effort from Tampa in game two. They were ready for it. Yet when Tampa threw the punch, you know, they didn't respond very well. Yeah. And like, I, I think, you know, Tampa Bay, there's, I do believe in urgency, Frank, at, at some points when you're an experienced team and not that Toronto is comfortable by winning game one by any stretch of the imagination, but I just think Tampa Bay was the more desperate team and, you know, Toronto might be to start that game, but I think you go back to Tampa, it's going to be a madhouse and uh, Toronto, the start of the game is going to be key for me is is how does Toronto start? Because I'm not sure Toronto can ask for much more. Their top guys each have five points through two games, right? When your top guys are averaging two and a half points, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be pretty excited about that. It's just a matter of can they contain Tampa? And you got to stay out of the box. Tampa Bay's power play is just that good. And you you give them like that, that, that uh, series, Frank, um, has had the uh, the most power play opportunities. Tampa's had 10, Tron- or sorry, 12, and, and Toronto's had 10 uh, so far. And if, if that continues, as good as Toronto, I just Kucherov and them, their, their history in the postseason power play, that, that's an advantage. Toronto's got a, and, and so does Tampa Bay because Toronto has a pretty good power play. But I'm kind of surprised at, at how many, at times, undisciplined penalties there's been on both sides. So you mentioned Vasilevsky bouncing back in game two. How money was Victor Hedman? Oh. He was yeah. awful in game one. As bad as I've ever seen him look. And game two, four points, threading the needle on a long distance, 150, you know, 125 yeah. foot pass. Um, just vintage Victor Hedman. Well, that, that's why, like, if, if you asked me to take one defenseman, I would still take Victor Hedman. And not because I don't like Roman Yossi and Kale McCarr are unreal, but they're not six foot five and 230 pounds. And I think when, when you can do, and he can be the offensive guy, Frank, and he's just, he takes up so much more space in the defensive zone. When he's on, I still believe he's the best defenseman in the NHL. I'm still taking Kel McCarr every day. Hmm. All right. Yeah. I don't know if he can defend as well as Hedman overall. He's well, more dynamic. Yeah, it's, it's true. But I, I just think he gets the puck up and out with so much ease that it, I don't know, like the defending part is important, but it's also how quickly can you get the puck on your stick and get, get it out. So I think that's key. Let's get to our, uh, our big guest of the day. Our next guest is the product of Sudbury, Ontario, the nickel. He has been working in the Chicago Blackhawks front office for the last 12 years and was officially named their general manager on March 1st. The DFO rundown is pleased to welcome Kyle Davidson. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. So let's start with this. What is the last, I don't know, six, eight, 10 months been like for you? Um, you know, the season starts and, and obviously what, what played out with uh, the investigation, obviously threw things into a little bit of turmoil. You take over on an interim basis, go through the interview process, named general manager on March 1st. What's it been like? Yeah, it's, it's the season that felt like uh, about three or four seasons, to be honest. It was a lot of 
a lot of ups and downs, a lot of uncertainty you know, being the interim GM for, for quite some time. And then as we got uh, along in the season, um, you know, there, again, as interim, there were still lots of, lots of uh, uh, things to do and, 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 you know, coaching change, bringing in Derek King uh, and then off the ice, the, the GM search was, was kind of something that was always in the background as well. So uncertainty there, just wondering what the future held for myself and, and what that would look like. And, uh, you know, and then going through the process and, and, you know, still, still acting as the interim general manager while all of the, the search and all the, the processes is going on in parallel. And so it's been a lot, it's been, it's been quite the year, but, uh, I've learned a ton, um, I've, I've really, it's really given me an opportunity to dig into what's going on here on and off the ice. Um, and, and then, you know, looking to the future to, to really build that, uh, within the image that I've, I've, I've created over the last little while and in, in developing our plan and, and now into our executive team and, and then moving on to the off season for, uh, you know, looking forward with, with, uh, the player personnel aspect of it. So it's, it's been, it's been quite the year, but it's been, um, very uh, educational and and really exciting too. So what is the Kyle Davidson origin story? Like I, I mentioned, you know, I was prepping for the interview and I'm like, I, we, we know what his roles have been over the last 12 years. How did you get to Chicago before that? What's your experience? Did you play minor hockey? You know, how did you get to this role? Yeah, I played, I played hockey growing up in, uh, in Sudbury. Um, not at any level or anything that I would, I would throw on my resume as, 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 uh, you know, any hockey cred or anything like that, but I did play and loved the game. I uh, started out helping out with the, uh, the Sudbury Wolves, um, and, and in the OHL, uh, and, and really just kind of doing anything that, that they would have me do, uh, whether that be helping out in, in a game day promotions with the hope that I could get into hockey operations eventually got into the draft room, helped out with, with the draft. But then uh, I went to Laurentian university in Sudbury and upon graduating, I got an internship actually with the Rockford ice hops and it was a sales slash hockey ops, uh, internship, which is quite the amalgamation <laughs> of two disciplines. And I like so, it. yeah, but the, the thing that happened, it, it, the work visa didn't actually work out once I got down there. And so I had like a period of time where either, I leave the country or I, I, well, basically I just had to leave the country or find another employer that was willing to work out a work visa for me. And it just happened that the hockey operations intern at the time with the Chicago Blackhawks went back for, uh, I think get their masters or something like that. And so that opened up and, but you know, it took a couple of days and I was, I was in with the Blackhawks immigration solidified and, and off to the races. So that was, that's how I started in Chicago. It's just, random luck that I went down to Rockford on an internship and it didn't work out there, but something opened up in Chicago at the same time that I was down in Rockford. And so God, now I'm pretty sure you were a video analyst um, early on with, with the Blackhawks, correct? Right. And so yeah. on the videos, were you, when you got into that, were you thinking more coaching potential or were you always somebody who thought more management? No, always management. And that, that video analyst, that was, um, I think that was almost like a pre uh, analytics tracking title. It would, that's okay. what it was. It was, I was okay. essentially I was tracking all of our passes and, and um, you know, pass location, 
between, you know, who it was between and trying to determine um, passing synergies and, and who was working well on the ice together. And so that was my first job out of the internship. They, they hired me full time to continue that work. And so that's what I did. Uh, that was fairly short lived, but that was my first full time uh, responsibility with the Blackhawks. So as somebody then who's who's tracked certain things, like obviously analytics plays a part and, and I think there can be some good from it. But how do you differentiate between, you know, what the analytics says, but what it means? Right. Because I think that the key for the best analysts is to, to look at what the numbers suggest, but then say, OK, is this really actually occurring and how do you do it? So when, when you when you were breaking down stuff, did, did you did you ever learn something where you thought, OK, I think this is what it means. But now after studying all the video, that actually isn't what I thought it meant. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I was getting that in depth with it. I, I think, you know what? For me, the most beneficial part of, of watching all of those games and, and tracking at the time I did was one, the team was really, really good at that time. Yeah. And I just got to see tendencies of really great players that are not natural tendencies that you'll see or you'd probably ever teach. Like some of the things that Duncan Keith does on the ice, whether it's with the puck or in defending you know, in 2010, like you wouldn't tell people to do that, but his skating and his instincts were so elite that he would just, he would do it and he, he would be able to pull it off. And so, um, but it, getting back to a more general sense of, of, you know, what you're seeing versus what might actually be going on, you always have to be analyzing critically and, and not necessarily making too hard of a judgment on any one direction based on any one piece of information and always looking for something else that, you're not looking to confirm, but you're just looking to round out your understanding. And so it's always asking questions, always being critical of, of what maybe your eyes are seeing or what you're reading and going back to another way of evaluation to round out whatever conclusion you're trying to make. So where was your next step, Kyle, after uh, starting out as an analyst and an intern? Oh boy. <laughs> um at that time, I think it would have been my first foray into CBA management or like CBA analysis. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying just to throw like I, all I 500. So different, I did so many different things around along the way that I was kind of hopping around. And, and I think at that time it was, it was getting into the CBA and, and really kind of getting familiar with, with things like, you know, roster limit rules and, and IR rules and, and just the very basic nuts and bolts of, of roster composition. And at that time too, I also went down and, and helped out again with the hockey ops department in Rockford to really understand the minor league system. And I traveled with the team a little bit for a couple of years down there and got to know, um, you know, how, how players are developing and what, what's beneficial for them to work on and, and how the coaching staff should, you know, communicate with the players and with Chicago management. So um, that was there, there was like this period for myself of like two to three years of just really jumping in and helping out in various parts, helping organize amateur scouting meetings, helping set up pro scouting meetings and being involved in all those. But um, you know, being on the back end, the day-to-day -day operations of things, I was just kind of helping out in every, every aspect. 
But that's obviously been hugely beneficial to your career in the sense that yeah. you've got to know a little bit of everything that happens and you need that if you're ever going to be the manager. I don't know that at any point while you're doing those things, anyone's saying, hey, this guy is going to be the next GM of the Chicago Blackhawks. How yeah. did you manage that just from a sort of career uh, perspective? I think everyone, you know, as a young person coming up in, in any industry, you're like, okay, what's my title? What's my role here? Who do I report to? How does this work? Were you comfortable just sort of floating in between and who was communicating with you? Who were you looking up to, to say, okay, this is where I'd, you know, ultimately like to get to. How did those conversations unfold? Yeah, I was, I was someone that was very aware of what I wanted to do. I did want to be um, a general manager and you don't know how realistic a, a, a goal or expectation that is, but how many and, other uh, interns come in, Kyle, and are like, yeah, I want to be a GM. Like I never got in anyone's face about it. Like, Hey, I'm going to be this, or I'm going to do that. No, no, I, that's not my personality. And my, my, my goal was actually, I just want to be qualified to be a GM because there's so much that goes into getting these jobs, right place, right time, connection, whatever it is. It, there's, there's so much that's, that's not, controlled on your end to get a general manager's job. And so my goal was just to be qualified. And I, I as such, I, I just wanted to experience every different aspect of the hockey operations department. And, um, you know, I, I never heard no along the way, which was, which was a huge benefit to me. Um, you know, early on, I think, and throughout my, my career, the one person that I I'd always, uh, leaned on for, for advice and, and really, um, getting perspective on and getting his thoughts and picking his brain. It's the reason why I brought him back is Norm McIver. And, and he was someone who I was talking the other day that the, like the first day I met Norm, he, he's like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm driving down to St. Louis tomorrow to watch. I still remember the Dallas stars and St. Louis blues. Um, do you want to come? And so of course, yeah. So I hop in the car and just, peppered him with questions for four and a half hours on the way there and sat with him and watched the game and peppered him with questions on the way back. And, uh, and then we just, we've always had that relationship of bouncing ideas off each other. And, and really, um, it really helped for me to solidify, uh, what I thought about players and form my own opinions and, and to disagree with him along the way too, but have that healthy dialogue of, of going back and forth. And he's someone that he played, after he played, he coached, then he joined the Blackhawks in a development role and then got into scouting. So again, someone that's seen many different facets of the hockey industry. So it's just always been a really great resource for me. Kyle, it, it's interesting you come in, you know, you're one of the younger GMs in the league. And, we, and we've seen that before in, in sports, really. And then there's been lots of guys who have had success with it. Uh, when you come in and now you're, you know, you're the decision maker, right? Uh, right. And I know the Jay Woodcroft talked about, hey, being an assistant coach is one thing. The biggest difference is now I make the final say, right? Like you still, at the end of the day, you talk to other people, you have assistant GMs, but ultimately now, you know, the buck stops here with Kyle Davidson. As you prepared and you said, this is something you always wanted to do. What's the, like the next step now? How do you ensure like to be a good leader as the GM? What do you think are the, the key things for you moving forward that's going to make you successful as a GM? Yeah, you know, I think there's an aspect of just staying true to who I who I am as a person as well. I don't want to change. Uh, I don't want to change who I am and, and and how I treat people because I I am the final decision maker and I am in uh you know that 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 big chair. Um, but I think it's it's 
creating this plan and, and having everyone understand and communicate what I'm looking for throughout the organization to the different verticals within hockey operations and make sure what's expected of everyone and what I'm looking for from their group. And so it's always the constant communication, the constant understanding of how they're going to benefit us in the long run, how they're going to um, play a role in our, in, in our success and, and how they can help us get back to where we want to be and, and just keeping them part of the process. I don't want to cut anyone out. I want it to be a very collaborative effort and, and, and bring them along with us, uh, you know, every staff, because every person that works here is going to play a role and play an important role in getting us back to where we need to be and making sure they know what's expected of them and how, how they're going to benefit the organization moving forward. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a different role. Absolutely. But I think there's, there's some aspects of it that have, have come naturally to me and, and you don't know that until you're in the seat. And so that's been something that's, that's been uh, very reassuring because again, you don't know until you really step into it, how you're going to assimilate, but it's gone really well. And, and our staff has been unbelievable in, in reacting to everything that I've given them. Kyle, it's, it's a fine line rebuild, retool, um, you know, rebuilds are rarely as quick as everybody would like to be. When you look at them historically, it's kind of like an eight to 10 year thing. Sometimes right. now that you're in the chair, you look at your organization, Patrick Kane just had his third best season of his career. He was, you know, he carried the offense more than any player in the NHL. Actually he was in on 44% of the, of the, the Blackhawks goals, right. uh, him and Jonathan Taves are obviously being legends in Chicago. Is one of your first steps ensuring kind of where they fit in the future if they want to be? And then do you decide from there? What, what the, what's the step for your organization? Um, I don't think the organizational direction uh, is determined by any one player or, or group of players. Uh, I think we're going to set out on our, our path and our plan um, outside of what is decided in those instances. Um, having said that, they deserve to know what's going on and they deserve to know um, their role in, in, in that plan. And, and that's, that's something that uh, I think is very important. Just um, one, because, you know, uh, Patrick and Jonathan have, have done a lot for the organization and they're still contributors. They're still here and they're still helping this team in a big way. And so they deserve to know, how they're part of that or how they can be part of that within our plan. And so that's, that's a, that's a key aspect of this, but any one player or two players, that's not going to dictate uh, if we change course, if we change uh, our, our horizon on, on time horizon on, on where we're looking to go, because there's a lot of work to do here, both on and off the ice. And, and we've got to make sure we're doing that right and getting that right. And then we'll figure out the players and, and how their timeline matches up with ours. So one of the most interesting things that I thought you said after the season wrapped up was you're not here to sell anyone. You're going to have a conversation with Patrick and Jonathan and explain what that role is. And then it's going to be up to them to decide 
But I think sort of historically, the way that this is all played out when having, you know, sort of more difficult conversations like these ones, given their contributions to an organization, that it ends up becoming a sell job one way or the other, that it's either, you know, we're selling you to, to, to tell us, hey, you know, it's time to go, like, get me out of here or to, to try and keep them. Why, why is it important for you to just lay it out and then let them decide? Um, well, there, there's a couple, a couple different things because, you know, there's, we need to build the franchise in the organization uh, to a point that we can sustain success. And that is going to take time. We're just not at a point where we can um, reload or retool and, and, and get back to where we want to be and trust that we can stay there for a longer period of time. And so that's one as- aspect of it. The other aspect of, of, giving them the information and letting them decide is they do control their, their fates. If, if, you know, if they want to stay, if they want to, you know, we can't unilaterally move them, not that we would, but that's a, that's a, a discussion. That's, that's a talking uh, point for, for both sides where um, you know what, this is what we're doing. And, and they deserve to know that, you know, they've put in so much time and done so much for the franchise that we're at a point where they just need to know what, what we're, what we're going to be doing. And if, if they want to be part of that, there's a role for them. If, if they think that they want to explore um, something else, then, you know, that's something we'll, we'll try to accommodate, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, we're, we're not anywhere near that point yet. We're, we're, we're discussing, we're letting them know what's going on and what we're thinking. And, you know, we don't really have a time horizon. And, and I know that's always a hot button question, but um, it, it's when it comes to players of, of their magnitude, it's, it's always important just to, to let them know and to bring them in on the process and, and give them an idea of what's going on in your head so they can make the best decisions for, for themselves. So you've been kind of transparent in that right from the very beginning though, I was told, you know, March 1st, your name, general manager, before you even came out to speak to the media and, and gave your sort of, you know, idea or vision of what it might be like and use the word rebuild that you gathered you know, a group of the core leaders to say, Hey, here's what I'm going to say before I'm going to tell you first, before I go out and say it publicly, um, you know, what, what was the message that you gave them then? Uh, that was just, uh, because I knew what I felt needed to be done. I knew what, um, you know, my mandate was going to be walking into that first prep press conference and how I was going to be, uh, messaging my, uh, intentions for the future. And so, I didn't want them to be hearing about that through Twitter or through news stories. You know, that's something that's very big to a franchise that they've either committed a lot of time to and, and, and given their lives to uh, in Patrick and Jonathan's case. And then in Seth Jones's case, he's committed long-term moving forward. And so they, uh, they deserve to hear that from me on what my intentions were moving forward. And I wanted them to hear that directly from me, just, um, just so they got that um, from my mouth rather than reading about it. And then having to ask, you know, whether it be agents or friends or other teammates, what does that mean? You know, no, here, here's what I'm going to say, guys, this is what my intention is. I want you to hear from me rather than read it through um, news stories. And so I, I just thought that was the, the right way to kick off what I knew would be an ongoing dialogue with some of our cornerstone players. 
Kyle, uh, you came out earlier this week. Uh, uh, your two assistant coaches won't be back, but uh, Derek King is still in the running for the head coaching job. What's your timeline on on when you would like to to have a head coach in place? Do, do you feel it has to be before the draft uh, sometime? Well, I would assume before free agency. What, what's the timeline and what specifically will you be looking for for your next head coach? Yeah, the the timeline we're, we're not being too firm on. I think the the dates that you mentioned in the calendar are are some that you know we're going to be very mindful of, and we'd like to have uh, something in place in and around that time period, right, that mid July time period. Um, as far as what we're looking for in the next head coach, um, you know, I, the the one thing that I always come back on is 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 the communication. Communication is so important. And whether it be for veteran players, whether it be for younger players who you're trying to develop and, and help improve, you know, they all need to know what the message is from a team standpoint, from an individual standpoint. <clears throat> and then I think that helps drive um, style of play. It helps drive culture. So that's, that's a main point. And then I also just want to get into the room with, with some of these candidates and hear their perspective on style of play on where the game might be going on how they want to handle a locker room. And so there's still lots, there's lots to be learned. We have some of our, our general ideas that what we want out of a person communication and being near the top of the list. And so, but I, I think it's going to be exciting to get in the room with, with some of these candidates and, and really hear their, their take on, on how they'd run a room and and the the state of hockey. You also announced an an interesting hire for me anyway, a guy that was competing for your job with your, maybe competing is the wrong word, but got interviewed for the GM job in in Jeff Greenberg. You you guys brought him over from the Chicago Cubs. Um, He called you, I'm told, after you got the job to congratulate you and then the conversation just came. And so now he's your associate GM and he's going to be part of this, uh, I think, strategic systems and processes and stuff in hockey operations. What was it about those conversations? Did you know Jeff at all? And did you feel that if the organization people thought he was that good, it's better to have more good people around me rather than be worried about, oh, here's somebody else that the organization was even considering? Yeah. So it, it, it started out, I didn't know Jeff before I knew his name from, uh, the, the GM, uh, process, but I, I didn't, I had not met him. Um, and, and so when he reached out, uh, he actually reached out via text, you know, just, Hey, congratulations. It's really, really great process and, and, you know, best of luck. And, and then we just kept trading text messages, eventually hopped on the phone and, and eventually met in person. And, uh, just through our discussions and learning about what he did with the Cubs and his path, because we do have very similar paths. We, we took these very parallel um, uh, roads to where we had, had gotten. We both started as interns. And, and so I, we we're reminiscing on some of our early times with, with the Cubs and then myself, with the Blackhawks and all the different jobs we had done. But he started giving me insight into the different uh, aspects of baseball operations that he was involved with specifically these uh, system builds and, and how they use their systems to inform decision-making. And it was such a unique, interesting um, insight into how decisions can be arrived at and how useful gathering and storing and housing system in a very strategic way is, can be advantageous to, uh, to not, just baseball or hockey, any sports operation. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just managing your information uh, in a better way. And so he's seen the build on how you go about that process and how you go about 
hiring specific people for certain jobs and and the the skill sets needed to get to where you want to go. And so it was such a, a unique, fascinating uh, path and, and such a great experience base that that was something I had intended on bringing in. And when he spelled out all the things he did, it's like, well, this guy's, this is the guy, like, this is, I yeah. want, I want him. And so, and, and like you said, I, I'm not worried about the fact that he did go far in our GM search. I think that's, that's great. That, that's, yeah. that, that speaks to his qualifications and, and to the, the person and, and the, the characteristics that, that he brings to the table that our, our, you know, leadership here brought him to that level of, of, of the process. And so I want to surround myself with the best people. And, and to me, I've got Norm on one side and Jeff on the other. They both attack things in a different way, but they're both uniquely qualified, I believe, to be GMs. And so I've got people that are at a very high level and helping me make decisions every single day that, you know, I, I think I've got a great team around me that really rounds out uh, the, the decision-making process from every aspect that, that I'd want to hit a problem with. So I'm, I'm really happy with it. And, and I'm really excited for, uh, for Jeff to come in and get going. When you were going through that process with Jeff, was it a reminder at all of really how much room hockey still has to grow in the sense that baseball, football, you know, basketball, there just seems to be, they're at different levels in terms of progress, specifically when it comes to strategy, like you hear, and I talk to other people in front offices that are in conversation with people in premier league football or whatever it is that they kind of ask questions of hockey. Like we wait, you still do it that way. Like what, how much room does hockey have to grow Kyle? Um, you know, I, I can't, I can't necessarily speak for other teams. I think, you know, there, I definitely saw an opportunity and an opening for the Chicago Blackhawks to grow. And so it was something that I felt was absolutely necessary. So, you know, I, there's, there's lots to be learned and there's lots of, of things that can be translated across sports uh, that are not sports specific and, and here at the Blackhawks. And, and again, I've only worked at one team in the NHL, so I can't speak to what's going on elsewhere, but what we're doing here, this was an opportunity to improve. It was an opportunity to, to really bring in uh, a new way of doing things and, and a new way of making decisions and gathering information and, and helping the, the executive leadership uh, arrive at conclusions and baseball and, and the Cubs specifically are, are a group that, does that very well. And so bringing in one of the people that was uh, an architect in that process and in that, in that uh, systems build was just an awesome opportunity. And so we never want to stop learning. We never want to stop improving. And if that's learning something from baseball, from Premier League football, from, uh, from uh, you know, NFL, then we're going to do that. And, and we're going to take anything we can to improve our operation. And this was the uh, the first and a very big example of that. So one of the things we talk about often on this pod and, and Jason says it all the time is a rebuild takes eight years. When you look at it really from start to finish, what was the conversation like when you're presenting your vision of what the Blackhawks will be over the next number of years? What's that conversation like with ownership going through the interview process or whoever it is that you're meeting with to explain, Hey, this is the path forward. And this is why I believe this is the right one. And this is also how long it's going to take to really be competitive again. What is your view of that um, in terms of how quickly the Blackhawks can be top competitors again? 
Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of things that go into timeline and 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 you know really getting back to where you want to be. I, I think that's really hard to pin down and and um and and forecast right now. The the thing that I spoke to and that I truly believe is that we were just lacking in certain areas, specifically our depth at the NHL level, at the, at the prospect level that we needed to rebuild. And that does take time. And so we need to, you know, bring talent to the NHL and then we need to keep talent coming and keep it coming in waves. And that means being better at uh, drafting, at developing, at, uh, at our, our strategic budgeting and keeping talent around once we bring it here under the salary cap. And so a lot of those things go, went into, you know, my, my view on the world and my view of the Chicago Blackhawks and how um, I saw this thing moving forward and how we needed to, to build back up. And, you know, we, I was never asked to put a timeline on it. Um, you know, we do understand that this is a significant project. And so there's, there's no, um, uh, you know, confusion on that, but specific timeline, we don't know because, you know, you don't know how quickly players are able to step in and, and be impact players right out of their draft now. And, or if you need extra time, there's just too many variables there. So I just focused on what we needed to fix and, and, and doing it right and doing it to a, a point where we could sustain being in a spot that's competitive year over year. And it may take time. It may take shorter, it may take longer than, than anyone thinks that remains to be seen, but what we're, we're doing is we're committed to doing it the right way and, and making sure that when we do get to where we want to be, we stay there. So this is a pretty big summer in terms of kickstarting that process, not just in terms of hiring the right people to surround yourself with, which you mentioned you partly have already done. I'm sure there's other changes you'd like to make throughout the departments and also uh, in getting that next head coach in. But how do you make the decision in terms of really who stays and who goes? Some of that we mentioned with some of your, your older veteran core guys, they'll make the decision in a lot of ways for themselves. But when you're dealing with a an Alex DeBrinket who eventually needs a new contract, a an expensive one at that after a 40 goal season, and a Seth Jones who we talked about very briefly, but you know signed on sort of for one path and is now about to go down another one that he maybe wasn't necessarily expecting. How do you manage those, and how do you decide who stays and who goes? Yeah, it's it's it all it all goes into the mix and. and we're, we're consider we're going to consider every option because, you know, we're, we're not in a position to be too, um, uh, strict on, 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 you know, just going one way or keeping a whole group of guys, you know, there, there's going to be some turnover. Let's be honest here that we need to make some changes and we need to build towards the future. And so uh, a lot of that too, though, you don't get to, you don't get to dictate what direction you go. It, a lot, you have to have a partner in, in something like a trade and, and you don't get to name the price. And then once you do get into some discussions on whoever those players or prospects or, or, you know, picks may be, you have to determine the, the, the value proposition there. And if that's in the best interest moving forward, and if not, then you don't, you don't force anything. You kind of have to take what's, what's going to come. And, you know, we've, we've already made a couple moves that have given us some, some good draft capital and this year's draft and the years uh, moving forward. and, And we'll look to capitalize on that. And, um, you know, but we're also, you know, we're going to explore, explore every avenue to, to enhance our prospect pool, to, to strengthen that draft capital and, and to bring in 
potentially some young players. And so we're, we're not ruling anything out one way or the other. I think it's really important to stay nimble and stay agile and, and, and just take what comes and not force anything because once we start forcing things, then, you know, you, you start making mistakes and, and we want to be very intentional with, with what we do in the summer. Last one for me, before we get to uh, rapid fire, you know, just when we were talking about your path here and, and your origin story, you know, I, I didn't necessarily realize how much time you had spent in Rockford. And as you're looking at this team, um, I, I feel like in some ways the minor league process or part of it is often overlooked a little bit in terms of the development. You know, a lot of times you have high picks and they sort of make it right to the NHL pretty quickly and whatnot. How big a role will Rockford play in, in what you want to do? Rock, Rockford's going to be critical in, in, uh, in the role that uh, they play in the development process and, and for the Blackhawks in general, because like right now we've got um, there's an opportunity. They play tonight, an opportunity to close out their, their play in series uh, against Texas. And that is such invaluable experience for all of our young players. And they're getting to play playoff hockey. They're getting to experience high leverage situations and they're being used. It's not like we've got prospects down there that are playing seven minutes a night. No, they're playing 20 plus minutes a night in playoff hockey and professional in a professional league. At, at a very young age. And so it's, it's super valuable. It also gives us touch points to develop and teach uh, along the way and really help them hone the skills that are going to bring them to the NHL and help them stick at the NHL. And so that's, that's the one uh, advantage to Rockford where normally if, if you draft a player and, and they, they go to college, they're in Europe or they're in, uh, in the CHL or wherever they may be, you don't have that daily touch point. You can give them pointers, but they've got their own coaches. They've got their own system that they're playing in Rockford. You can bring them in really put day to day work in with them to help them assimilate to a system, help them work on what they need to work on and really get the reps in to, to see that improvement, um, you know, week over week and month over month. So Rockford is going to play a huge uh, part in all this moving forward. And, and, you know, they are right now as well. And so hopefully they can continue uh, going on this, this playoff run that they can, they can sustain some success here and play some extra games. And uh, it's all, it's all great for uh, the development of our prospects and it's all bonus uh, development time for them to get that, that important experience. Kyle, we'd like to end with a rapid fire. Uh, the only rule is you have to answer the questions. All right. Okay. Deal. Okay. Perfect. Well, we'll start with a few uh, easier ones. Um, uh, well, Kyle Davidson's officially named the GM of the Blackhawks. Uh, what's your celebratory uh, alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverage? Well, I found out at uh, seven thirty in the morning. It was a breakfast meeting with Danny Wirtz, so it was a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> what if you had found out at seven thirty at night? What would it have been? Uh, well, the the one thing I talked about at the, my introductory press conference, I've had three open heart surgeries, so. Probably just a, uh, a yeah. I've had I've had three. I was born with a congenital heart defect, and so I uh, I had three open heart surgeries. So I'm pretty I'm pretty uh, uh, healthy and careful what you drink. with careful with uh, with the alcoholic beverages. So, but it's not that I don't drink. So maybe a glass of red wine. Glass of red wine. Well, they say red wine a glass is good for your heart. Man, three open Doctor, heart surgeries. doctor's orders, right? That's yeah. a yeah. That's a that's amazing. Um, if if people are coming to Chicago. Is there a jazz club that you would recommend they go to? Boy, <laughs> I used to live near Kingston Mines over in uh, Lincoln Park, so that's a, that's a pretty big one. 
Okay. Um, Non-hockey, if there's one sporting event that you would like to go watch, which one and why? I'd probably like to go watch either the World Cup final or the uh, Champions League final. I'm a big soccer fan. Uh, I've, I've loved it since I was young. And, and so that would be one of those two events. So as a younger GM, how many times a day do you check Twitter? I, you know what? One of the things I've, I've done intentionally since I've become a GM is not check Twitter. And so <laughs> fewer times, I don't know, uh, a couple of times, but I'm not, I'm not on it and, and consuming it. Like I, I used to, I try and steer, uh, steer clear a little bit. And, and I, I say that because different generations, like younger generations have grown up on their phone and, you know, in social sure. media. And so your players have it a lot. Um, which Blackhawk player do you think would make the best TikTok videos? Oh my goodness. Um, man, I don't, <laughs> I, I really have no clue on that. Um, Jeez. Who's funny? Who's funny? Uh, I think Kevin Lankin is a pretty interesting guy. I think he'd. I think he'd. Uh, he'd do well. Okay. It's always the goalies. Louis Deming <laughs> is. He's into baking. That's a big thing That's this right. week. Yeah. He's back in that. Uh, the goalies show their personality. That's why they end up on TV a lot. Right. How closely do you watch NHL playoff games? Are you watching a specific series, or do you watch as many games a night as you can? I watch as much as I can. I, I try and and watch uh, a game until you know if it if it it's kind of getting out of hand or, or you know the the score gets to a point where you kind of determine you know what's going to happen. Then I'll switch to a closer game. But I try and watch every single game. It's we're only two games into each series, but I think I've watched uh, parts of every single game that's been played so far. And so um, because you're always learning, you're always. Uh, understanding what's going on, what other teams are doing structure wise, matchup wise, uh, how certain players are playing. So I'm watching all the time. Most memorable piece of advice you got from someone that has helped you in your career. Um, I, I think it was probably back, back in the Sudbury Wolves days. Uh, you know, one of the, uh, and it, it wasn't like a one line or anything, but, uh, former GM, uh, his name is Blaine Smith. He, he gave me a piece of advice just on relationships that, that, you know, treat every interaction as the most inter important interaction you're going to have, because you never know when that's going to come back or, or, or how that's going to impact your reputation. Just treat everyone, uh, first class and, and, and just kind of keep that going forward because everything comes full circle at some point. In your video analyst that you watch about passing, what was the, your, your most important takeaway that you learned from those videos? Um, probably how amazing Duncan Keith was, uh, or, and still, and still is like, he's still continues still playing big minutes for the Edmonton Oilers. It was just getting to watch him and, and getting to see him move the puck and transport the puck. And, and even when I wasn't tracking passes, defending, uh, Probably one of the, you know, I'm not, I haven't seen as much hockey as some people, but he's one of the best players I've ever seen.
Yeah, he's uh, Patrick. Yeah, he's pretty elite. Patrick Kane stick handling. I don't know if you're yeah. watching stick handling more than passing, but uh, he's pretty. <laughs> if Norm McIver, who uh, who is a is a pretty good defenseman in, in his own right, uh, Kyle. If if you were scouting today, how would how much better would Norm McIver's game be in today's NHL back when he played in, and and he was really good then? But you look at a Norm McIver in 2022, who would he compare to? Um. I don't think he's. We're gonna stuff. send him I, I don't, a clip, just so you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't watch. I didn't watch much Norm McIver hockey, but <laughs> I, what I would say is, is uh, you, you got to clean up the defensive end, man. You got to clean that up. I know. I know you love playing the point on the power play, but try defending once in a while. <laughs> Kyle, uh, thanks so much. Uh, and, and quickly, uh, the uh, give us an update on uh, on the open heart surgery. Is everything good now? What's the prognosis? Oh yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I my last uh, I had a a corrective procedure to re- uh, replace my my pulmonic valve back in November 2019, and so it's been it's been unbelievable. I feel great. Uh, honestly, you never know. You don't really know that that anything's wrong, and then they tell you you need heart surgery again, which my other ones were right at when I was born, but and, and I didn't really know anything was wrong. And so, you know, just regular heart checkups and got the surgery. And after the surgery is like, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to feel like. This is great. And so I'm feeling, I'm feeling awesome, you know, annual checks and everything's been great. And so no complaints. I'm in a, I'm in a good spot and I'm lucky to have the, uh, the care that I have here in Chicago. So it's, it's been, it's been good. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, uh, Kyle and, uh, and best of luck. Uh, your first year as a GM of the Chicago Blackhawks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Kyle Davidson, that was our big guest today, brought to you by DoorDash. Ding dong. I can't do it as well as uh, as Liam does, but uh, you use the promo code RUNDOWNDD. That will get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order. So uh, check it out. Promo code uh, RUNDOWNDD. And uh, quite the story, uh, uh, Frank, from Kyle Davidson on how he became a GM. I think it's it's a fascinating path for for a lot of people who who weren't like elite hockey players, right? Like it, it just shows you that there's different ways if you want to if you have a goal in mind, there's different ways to approach it to become an NHL GM. Crazy. I love his story. I love that he, you know, dabbled in just about every little area of the Chicago Blackhawks. I think that's really how you become well-rounded and I think it's an important lesson for anyone in any field, not just wants to work in hockey is float around if someone offers you the opportunity to drive down to St. Louis to watch a game, take it. It's one of the big things, pieces of advice that I give to anyone who asks is never say no. Yes. Find a way, whatever it is, whatever someone asks you to do, find a way to say yes. When you're working your way up through the business, it goes a long way. And when you get the opportunity to meet people, pick their brains, talk to them, they remember you because you're that eager person that wants to learn and it's not eager or hungry to take their job. It's, you know, you have an opportunity to ask questions of someone who's an expert in their field, take it. And, you know, vice versa, when you get in that spot, pay it forward and answer those questions and take someone along for the ride. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, hey, Frankie, speaking of the ride, have a good birthday weekend. Uh, you know, the three, four. Nice. What's uh, what's on tap for the birthday weekend for Frank Saravalli? Absolutely nothing. Um, honestly, this first week of the playoffs has been a grind. A lot of late nights. I am looking forward to doing nothing. And we asked Kyle, what would be his sporting event of choice if he could do or see one thing. 
For me, it would be the Kentucky Derby. I was oh. born on Derby Day. Saturday, tomorrow, my birthday is also Derby Day. Uh, so pretty awesome. I'd love to do it once. Well, dude, you're going to have to go. Yeah, that'd be sick, man. You got the, uh, I've done kind of a hard time of year for a hockey reporter writer to go to to Kentucky for a few days. One time though, man, you got to go. We have the Canadian Derby uh, in Edmonton all the time. And I just like going just to dress it up, man. It's sick. Like I suck at betting. I never, uh, picking on the ponies, but I like doing it. It's just a lot of fun. Um, I used to uh, hang around the track a lot. Oh man. Huge. Like I, we get the infield pass. And so the power of those horses, man, it's unreal. When you're literally, like, when they come flying down and you're standing and they're running by you. Real? Oh, it's, it is an awesome thing. Now, obviously the Kentucky Derby is a little bit different level. It'd be probably a little bit challenging to, to get right on the rail. There's a lot of people there, but, um, that, that is, that's a really good answer. I like that event. That'd be a, that'd be loads of fun to go to just for the, just for the, uh, the, uh, the opportunity to really go in with a sick ass wardrobe. That's what I would want. Mm-hmm. Well, no, dress that and also just the experience it. I, I'd love to just see it one time. What's the, what's the special Derby drink they have? You the know, mint julep, the mint julep. Yes. I have yeah. a few of those a little Not Woodford reserve bourbon. And yes, I got, well, I got a bottle of that, buddy. That's pretty good. So yep. awesome. Frank, have a great weekend. We talk Monday. Who knows? Maybe some teams could already be out. The Boston the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, that's the, I guess that's the only team, but uh, we'll see. And uh, until then, have everybody a great weekend. Enjoy the playoffs. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under 
a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first, and you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.